Hey, I, I really believe God's going to speak to us all today. I'm, I'm preaching from a passage of scripture, Matthew chapter 7. Uh, Matthew chapter 7. Who's just said, oh, yeah? Somebody said, you said, oh, yeah? What's in Matthew chapter 7? Here's the text. You don't know. So it's in Matthew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, Matthew chapter 7. Good job, man. Y'all didn't listen. She did. Matthew chapter 7. It's actually the closing statement that Jesus made in a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, here's what's crazy. Jesus said a lot in Scripture, but this is the only thing I have found that the Bible calls a sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And I actually was going to talk about the close of this message and talk about the Sermon on the Mount, and I thought about calling it the, the message the Sermon on the Mount, but then I didn't want to do that because Jesus is a way better preacher than me, and so then I didn't want to do that, so I was like, maybe I'll call it Conversations on a Hill, just something a little bit like down here, you know, just to give honor and glory to God. But the Sermon on the Mount was the one thing that Jesus called the Sermon. And he said some challenging things in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount takes place between Matthew 5 and ends with Matthew 7. And Jesus said some stuff, man. He said stuff like in Matthew chapter 6, hey, don't worry about what you eat or what you will wear. So I spend all that time in the mirror looking at your clothes because unbelievers do that. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. We love to leave that part out. We love to leave that part out. We love to leave that part out. Seek the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He says, seek the kingdom and his righteousness. Now here, righteousness is a free gift. You get righteousness, and then you seek how to live out what you've already been given. You get righteousness by faith. So he says, seek that. Explore this gift I've given you. That's what it means. You know, you open up a great gift on Christmas and sometimes people give you something that might be high tech and you don't know how to use it. Maybe someone gives you an iPhone 10. My wife still can't use my iPhone 10 because she never had one. And sometimes you get this great gift and you got to explore it. You got to read the instruction manual. You got to figure it out. And that's okay, but you get a free gift. But God wants you to spend your entire life dissecting and studying and learning more about what God gave you for free. Does that make sense? So seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. What are the, these things? The things you've been worried about, the things you've been stressed about. All these things will be added if you seek not the things, but the kingdom and the righteousness and these things. Somebody needs to stop stressing about these things. This is what he was saying in the Sermon on the Mount. And then not only that, but he really went in on them and he said things like, you have heard it said before, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The Old Testament was no joke. It was like, you knock out my tooth, your molar right now, your molar, I'm knocking your tooth out. This is how this works. You poke my eye out, you about to be here blinking and all kind of jacked up because I got an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's how it worked. But he said, you have heard that, but I say, love your enemies. So part of the Sermon on the Mount is religion says this, but I say. Religion says you're disqualified, but I say there's grace for you. So he's literally talking them and saying some really heavy and challenging things and changing the disciples' thinking. But what challenged me the most is not just what he said, but where he said it. The Bible says that Jesus moved away from the crowds, moved away from the crowds, 
and took 12 disciples, or how many there were at that time, he took them up a mountain and he moved away from the crowds to preach to a few. What preacher do you know, including me, that wants to move away from crowds to preach for a hand, to a handful of people? That's what was the most challenging thing to me because it checked me in my spirit real bad about how much I do for the crowd. Come on, we all got a crowd that we're doing something for. You don't think that I've counted my YouTube views on a sermon? Always keep it real 1 p.m. Just keep it real. You don't think I've done that? Ooh, this one got 4,000. Praise Jesus. Don't try to add a praise Jesus when you're making stuff about you. Don't we do that? Just our own trifling, self-centered self and think we can throw a praise Jesus on the end of it and make it godly? Ooh, I got more followers than praise Jesus. No, no, no. 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 You don't think I'll come down here after a sermon and you want me to pray for you, but I want you to tell me how fire my message is? You don't think I've done that? Pastor Julian, can you pray for me? Yeah, as soon as you tell me this message was fire. You don't think I've done that? You don't think the Lord has convicted me of that? Come on, I know I'm not the only one. Come on, fellas. I know y'all be showing off. Come on, okay, let me just talk to my fellas, lady. Let me talk to my fellas real quick. How many of y'all have taken a girl out on a date and pulled your whole wad of money out of your wallet to pay for a $5 coffee? Come on, do I gotta go back a little further? Let me go back before I got, you pull all them hundred, paying it, and you, then you do the finger lick. Let's see, how much was it? How much was it? You know you're getting money when you got to lick your finger. Come on, I'm believing for that kind of prosperity in this next season of your life. I'm believing you will have to lick your finger. Come on, somebody put their finger up in the air. I'm believing you're going to have to lick your finger to pay for a coffee. Yeah, yeah, your grandpa give you $5. How much you want, boy? Uh, are you licking fingers? You're doing good, grandpa. Come on, man. Come on, man. Y'all know y'all be showing off. I'm not the only one. See, we love to pray for God to show up so we can show off. That's why we really want to be blessed. Or maybe that's just me. We're believing for God to show up so we can show off. But you know, God doesn't show up for show-offs. I know that because I've been a show-off most of my life. You know what God does? Sometimes he doesn't show up for show -off. He's with a show off. I'm not saying he does, he's not in your life. I'm just saying he ain't going to show up and bless you so you can show off. You know what he does to show offs? He makes them live at their friend's house on a futon. That's what he did to me. In your 30s. Until you can figure out how to put God first. Does that make sense? And it's not to hurt you. It's that he wants to, to deal with you about some things. In this season, God is asking some people to move away from the crowd, whatever your crowd is. Your crowd could be your parents or your family never thought you could make it from moving to L.A., and now you want to make it in L.A. for that crowd that you have. We all got a crowd. We all got a crowd. Come on, you know your brother graduated, got his master's degree, and you still work on your AA, and he's your crowd. Come on, man, let's be real. We all got a crowd. We all got a crowd. We all have one. We got to move away from the crowd and come up on a mountain with Jesus and hear from the Lord about how to change. That's the hardest part about the Sermon on the Mount. It's not just what he said, but where he said it. And every preacher will tell you that they really focus on their intro and their close. So Matthew chapter 7 is the close of the only sermon Jesus preached. And I think we should take a closer look at it. 
Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 28 says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words, these words of mine, whose words? The words of Jesus. Some of you have the wrong words in your ear. Some of you have the words of some of your ex in your ear, the words of, your, of, of somebody who said you weren't good enough. You got the wrong word in your ear. Let me tell you, I've seen more people's lives damaged by having the wrong words in their ear. But the Bible says that, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, practice, we talking about practice? If you're a basketball fan and an Allen Iverson fan, you will know he said that. Since anybody who puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. I want to preach a sermon. It's not conversations on a hill. I was just joking. I want to preach a sermon called, You Were Built for This. You were built for this. And the reason why I feel like the Lord has given me the title of this sermon is because I've spent so much, so much of my life concerned about what I was born for. You were born for this, but you also need to be built for this. You were born for this, but you also need to be built for this. And I spend so much of my time thinking about what I was born for. My purpose, my purpose. What's my purpose? What's my destiny? Lord, you got to show me what to do. I want to live out my purpose. One of the largest, the books that have been read the most in, throughout the world is The Purpose Driven Life because people want to know their purpose. God, what is, what am I on this earth to do? I need to know my purpose. I need to fulfill my purpose. Purpose, purpose, purpose. And we, we, we lose out on what we were born for by not addressing are we built for it. Before you can do what you've been born for, you got to be built for it. You know, when I, uh, I almost said, I always, someone said this last service when I had a kid. I didn't have a kid. I, my wife had the kids, but I was there. And um, <laughs> when Bailey was born specifically, I remember when she was, uh, my wife was pregnant, when Christina was pregnant with, with Bailey, I would talk to my wife's stomach. I'm like, boo, 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 boo. Daddy can't wait to meet you, boo, boo. Daddy can't wait to meet you, boo, boo. And then when Boo Boo was born, <laughs> I was expecting her to still be like cute. But when she came out, if I'm being honest, it was kind of nasty. <laughs> she looked kind of nasty. I, I didn't say Boo Boo. I'm like, somebody need to clean up this baby so I can hold my daughter. It was just like, it was shocking to me because she's like, I'm like, dude, somebody get a towel. Like somebody. She just, ooh. So like, you want to hold her? I said, yes. After you clean up whatever that is on her forehead, just clean all that off. Just looking nasty, all kind of nasty. And they cleaned her up. She looked so cute. And then I held her. And then I held her. And I consider myself a great dad. And I still wanted her to be cleaned up before I held her. You know when the Bible says you put your faith in Jesus, you're born again? And the day you raise your hand at the end of a church service, guess what? You still nasty. Come on, you still turn your neighbor and say, you still nasty? But unlike me, unlike me, 
God wants to hold you immediately. And one of the biggest issues with the church over the last hundreds of years is that they preached messages trying to clean you up so God could hold you. But God's saying, I'm holding you right now. I'm holding you with that sin. I'm holding you with your uh, computer history. I'm holding you with everything you got going on in your life, all your sins, your shortcomings. Let me hold you. Let me hold you. And yes, I'm going to tell you the truth, but not now. I'm just going to let you know you're loved and, and, and there's grace for you and there's purpose for you. So many of us, well, I just like to tell the truth. You know, I believe that God, that we are administers of grace and stewards of the truth. Here's the difference. There is never a situation where you can't give grace. But there are situations where you don't need to tell the truth or that you need to think about. Hear what I'm saying. Jesus said this. He told his disciples, there's so much I want to tell you, but you couldn't bear to hear it. So he kept leading them and guiding them and loving them and then tell them the truth. Here's how I know. Again, back to the, my kids. My kids give me pictures all the time. Uh, they're, they're four and six. They give me pictures all the time. And they always want to know what I think about the picture. And every single time I tell them the same thing, I don't even know what it is, but I tell them, that's amazing. Because I'm a good dad. And every good dad needs to tell a child needs to call an ugly picture beautiful. That's what good dads do. Does that make sense? But as I raise them and they progress, if one of my kids handed me that same picture at 20, I'd say, you need to go to art school. <laughs> same truth told to them when they're three, I'm mean and critical. When they're 20, I'm a great father. Do you get what I'm saying? So the issue isn't where you're at in your walk, the issue is, how long have you been like that? There's grace for you. God will call your picture beautiful. And you just came to the Lord a month ago, a couple months ago. But if you, 10, 15 years, <laughs> God's going to tell you, you need to go to our school. And do you know how God works on your life through his word? Do you know the Bible says you're his masterpiece? You are the climax of all the creation to God. Think about the sunset and God thinks you're a better work of art than the sunset. So many Christians gaze at sunsets and they won't gaze at another human saying, wow, look at what God is doing. Do you get what I'm saying? This is the premise of this whole verse. Not just what you were born for, but what you were built for. Why do we need as a church to start talking about character and start talking about things that need to change in your life and my life? Why do we need to talk about this? It's not right and wrong. It's rock and sand. Because when you put your faith in Jesus, you instantly all become right in God's eyes. What a wonderful gift. By faith, you're all righteous. Everybody in this room who's put their faith in Jesus becomes instantly right before God. We've been given right standing before God. So then you have the choice to go your own way and do your own thing. And Jesus didn't die for you so you could build your house on sand and not reap the consequences. 
He died for you so that through relationship and love, you could build your life on the right thing, which is God's word. I want you to catch this. This is really important. You're born for this, but you need to be built for it as well. Jeremiah 29, 11 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. How many people want that? Come on, how many people want that? If you don't clap loud enough, I'll take your half, man. Come on, God, prosper me. Give me their half. They don't want it. Some other translations say, for I know the, the purpose I have for you. Oh, we love this verse. We tweet this verse. We Instagram this verse. This verse is in the header of our Facebook. We, we got it on coffee mugs. We sipping coffee like, for I know the plans I have. We love that verse. We love talking about what we're born for. We love talking about purpose. And we don't realize that several verses before that in Jeremiah 29, 5, look what it says. Before you talk about what you were born for, God tells this to the people. He tells them this sentence. He says, build. Build. Don't worry about what you were born for, for I know the plans I have for you. Stop worrying about your purpose and build. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. They were in a terrible situation and God asked them to build. Don't worry about what you're born for, build. And the Bible says in this passage of scripture that they had lying prophets speaking to them about their purpose. You don't have to build. God's going to come in the next couple months and fix everything. And God had to rebuke them. Those are lies. They tell lies in my name. Y'all are going to have to build right where I've called you. Interesting enough, Jesus got baptized at 30 years old. Spent three years living out his purpose before he was crucified. Three years living out his purpose. And we are still talking about what Jesus did in those three years. We are still talking about it thousands of years later. But what I think we don't talk about enough is he spent his first 30 years as a carpenter. A builder. Even Jesus had to learn to build before he could do what he was born to do. Jesus wasn't just born for it. He was built for it. He was built for it. Jesus says this in Matthew 16, verse 18, after Peter gets a revelation about who God was in Jesus, that Jesus was the Messiah, he says, now I say to you, Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock, I will build my church. He didn't speak to his disciples about purpose. Their purpose was a given because the Bible says that we were predestined, predestined. He called you and he predestined you. That means before you were born, you had a destiny. Why is the church so stressed about purpose and destiny when the Bible says that you have a predestiny? I didn't go to college, but pre means before. <laughs> See how smart I am? Pre. When you came into the world all nasty, you already had a purpose. So then why did 20 years later when you found God, you're praying about purpose? You had a purpose before you even were born. All of us were born for this. Only some in this season are built for this. 
Are you built for what you were born for? Because the church is missing out on what they were born for because they don't build correctly. Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. And who is the rock? Him. And why was Jesus the rock? Because in John chapter 1, he said Jesus came and he was the word made flesh. The only reason Jesus could be the rock is because he was the walking, talking word of God. The prophets couldn't be the rock. Your pastor cannot be the rock. Your boyfriend definitely cannot be your rock. Y'all see them posts, you trying to honor, I get it. I love him, he's my rock, okay. 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 I know you love him, but okay. Thank you, you're my rock, okay. Don't build on that rock. Don't you build on that rock, because as good as it is, it's still sand if it's not the Word of God. I wonder where they got the idea to build on sand anyway. I wonder if they had built their house on the rock and they put some sandbags in the front, and then the sandbags kept the water out, and they were like, oh, that's good. Let's build on that. Because what you're building on doesn't even have to be evil. It can be good, but it ain't the Word, and it's still sand. It doesn't even have to be evil. It just has to be not God's Word. This is not about right and wrong. This is about rock and sand. Are, are you built for this? Here's the thing. I can prophesy and speak over your life that you are born for this. God has a plan. God's a purpose. And they get a lot of shouts in church. But are you built for this? Here we look at this passage of Scripture in, in Matthew chapter 7. And Jesus is saying that anyone who builds their house on what Jesus says, builds their life on it builds their life on it, is like one who builds their, their house on the rock. And anyone who doesn't is like one who builds their house on sand. And each house looks exactly the same. You just won't tell until a storm comes. So literally, literally, in this context, depending on what your house is built on, determines on how you pray for rain. If your house was built on the rock, you were praying for rain. And if your house is built on sand, you're praying for it not to rain. So in this neighborhood, depending on what your house was built on, you would have people weeping because it's raining and have people weeping with joy because it's raining. It depends on what your house is built on. I want you to catch this is that we tend, we love, I, I love to preach storms in church. God's going to give you faith in the storm. And there are a few different types of storms in the Bible. Uh, not all of them are demonic. Jesus had three responses to, to storms in the Bible. One response was to rebuke the storm. And Bible scholars believe, many agree, that Jesus rebuked that storm because it had a demonic source. But not every storm in your life is demonic. Because there's also a different storm that he slept in. And then he woke up and calmed it. And he slept in the storm. And the Bible says the disciples complained, don't you care that we're going to die? How could you sleep during a time like this? Maybe some of you are going through a storm right now. You don't feel like Jesus is doing anything because he's trying to teach you to sleep and have peace in the storm. You're going to have to do all things. Some storms you got to rebuke. You cannot have my family. You cannot have my children. I rebuke that. I'm standing on the word of God. There are some storms you have to rebuke, but some storms you got to learn to have peace in and sleep through. And then you know you are a G when you can walk through one. 
because the Bible says the waves came in. And Jesus was in the middle of the storm on the waves, like, uh, uh, uh. And Peter saw Jesus out on the waves, and Peter said, Lord, if that's you, call me out on the waves. Bid me to come to you. Peter didn't believe. We always love making fun of Peter, and Peter didn't keep his eyes on Jesus, so he sank. There are still only two people who have ever walked on water, and he was one of them. I'd rather sink doing what God's called me to do than, than survive not doing his will. So the Bible says Peter got out of the boat and, and walked on water with Jesus because what did he say? Command me. He didn't believe he could walk on water. He believed that if Jesus said he could walk on water, he could walk on water. Some of us are stepping out of a boat and Jesus hasn't called us to. Get back in the boat. Stop using that as a way to do your own will. I'm just stepping out the boat in this season, okay? You're going to be gurgling, just drowning. Jesus, help me. And Jesus is going to help you get your butt right back in the boat. You should have never got out of that boat. You should have never, you should have never got out of the boat. You should have never quit that job. You should have never left the church. You should have never done that. He's going to get you right back in the boat and teach you. you. You get out the boat when I call you. Not when you want to or when you're frustrated with what's going on in the boat. But this story in Matthew chapter 7 is none of those storms. It's actually a fourth storm. It's not the rebuke storm. It's not the one you sleep in. It's not the one coming to hurt you. This is a storm of blessing. This is a storm of blessing. God wants you to build your life on the word so that when the storm comes, we always think it's a bad storm. We always think it's a storm from the enemy. No, this storm was a storm of blessing. Here's how we know. It was a fulfilled prophecy in Joel chapter 2. I want you to catch this. Joel chapter 2, this storm was prophesied. In Joel chapter 2, verse 23, there were times when God would send the drought when people were worshiping. Rain was so important in biblical times, people worshiped the God of rain. And so God called a drought through Elijah because they were worshiping their provision. Their, their provision. They were farmers. So they worshiped their career, and their provision. And so God called the drought. And then Jeremiah, not Jeremiah, Joel chapter 2, verse 23, this storm that we're talking about in Matthew 7 is a fulfilled prophecy. I don't want you to miss this. Be glad then, you children of Zion. That's you. Anytime you see Zion or Jerusalem or Israel, you can just say, that's me, through Jesus. Be glad then, you children of Oasis. I love how it says children. You're still nasty, but be glad. It's okay. God is for you. This, this prophecy isn't just for the mature, faithful, astute. I've been following the Lord for 30 years. I've been following God for 45 years. Anytime people brag about how long they've been following God, I've been following God for 10 years, and I still feel like I don't know him every time I read the Bible. Like, that's not a badge of honor. Approach God like a child. And you can inherit the kingdom. Does that make sense? I've been following God for 30 years, but I still approach him like I've been following him for one day. Do you get what I'm saying? It says, be glad then, you children 
of Zion and rejoice in the Lord your God. Get this, for he has given you the former rain faithfully and he will cause the rain to come down for you. Who's the rain for? Me and you. He will cause the rain. It was a prophecy. Look, and, and he will cause the rain to come down for you. The former rain and the latter rain in the first month. The former rain was the rain that happened in October, November, and December that was so heavy it brought floods and the rivers rose. It was crazy. The reason why we know Matthew 7 is this form of rain is that it was the Middle East and it was the only time of the year that it rained like that. And so they were coming out of the drought of the summer and the ground would be so hard and so hardened that they needed this rain to soften the ground so that as farmers, they could go out and put the seed in the softened ground. I want you to catch this. If, they, if it didn't rain, people died. Livestock died, crops died, they needed that rain. So at a time where there was a drought because God's people weren't obeying, God has Joel the prophet prophesy, I will send the rain for you. So building your house on the rock is that you would survive and thrive in a fulfilled prophecy and a blessing. So how many of us know that God has spoken a future and a destiny over our life? This is a season to build your house on the rock so when God sends the rain, what meant to bless you won't hurt you. I've been in my life where I didn't build my house on the rock. I didn't build my house on the word. And when God blessed me financially, it hurt me. Some of the things you need the least, some of y'all don't need a check. You need to get to building. Because money and prosperity, whatever you're dreaming for, if it's not built on the word of God, it will, will hurt you. This is not about right and wrong. This is about the rock and sand. God promised that he would send the rain. The former rain was the rain that brought the floods and it would soften the ground and the farmers would put their seed in the ground. Then the latter rain came in January in spring and the latter rain would water the seed that they had put in the ground after the storm. So you know what the devil wants you to do? The devil wants you to not sow in your storm. To spend all your time trying to rebuild your life in your house. Because what the farmers were doing is they were hunkered up in their house, built on the right foundation. And if we can just ride out this storm, this storm is actually a blessing to me because now I can go outside and put my seed in the ground and now I can prosper when the harvest comes. They needed the rain. The rain was a blessing. And some of us, I'm telling you, you're not under attack in this season. I've been in seasons where I thought the enemy was attacking me and I didn't need to be attacked because I was like this Jenga game where I was doing enough damage to my own life. The devil was like, you need my help. You don't follow enough of the word for your own house to come down. This is how it works. The Bible says no sex before marriage. We'll be like, no, nah, she fine, so I can't do that. <laughs> Put that right on out there. Right? Okay, um, I know we're talking about a legacy offering, but I don't even have enough money for myself. And I know the Bible says to give cheerfully, but, you know, I'm angry, so I'm not. <laughs> let me just not let me put that on right on out there. We don't want that. 
Okay, what else do I not want to do in God's word? Uh, I don't, I mean, the Bible says don't forget to gather at church, but I don't feel like I need to go to church. I can watch online, you know. I talk to God every day. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be around other believers. You know, let me just take that out right quick. And then pretty soon, we don't even need a storm for our house to get knocked down. Devil just come through just whistling. The whole house just knocked down. He can't whistle because his lips is dry because he's been in hell. He just come through and just your whole thing. You, you, you ain't even in the storm. Just devil, just dry mouth, ch- chat lip whispering over your life and your whole stuff. Just, can I be real? It's not a storm. You just took enough out of the God's word out of your foundation for the devil to come through and just blow and your stuff is done. Does that, can I, can I just be real? It's not about right and wrong, though, because through faith, you're still righteous. It's not about right and wrong. This is about rock and sand. I know you were born for it, but are you built for it? God wants your word, your life to be built on the right thing. It was a fulfilled prophecy. Do you know how powerful that is? You know, I'm going to invite the team to come up because this is really important. Some of us have been in this season. We're like in the former rain. Come on, anybody feel like it's been storming this last couple of months? And you feel like you're hunkered in in your house and you're holding on. You're holding on with everything you got. And then some of us feel like everything's been torn down. And some of us feel like we want to hold on to the things we have in our life because we don't want to lose it. But I can tell you this, if there is Anything in your life, anything in your life that isn't built on God's word, the number one prayer you could pray, the number one prayer you need to pray is Jesus, send the rain. You need it to rain. This rain in this scripture is not a demonic rain. It's not a rain of trouble. It's a rain, a fulfilled prophecy meant to bless you. How many of you know that sometimes God sends blessing and we find out we're not ready and we can't handle it? And I want to tell you, I know this is a word from heaven. It is getting ready to rain. And and my job is to prepare your house, your life for the rain so that this person next to you won't be blessed by the rain and this person won't be rebuilding their life because the rain washed away something that wasn't built on the right thing. Don't let anything be your rock other than Jesus. And I believe right now, some of us, I've I've experienced the pain of, of, of coming back to something that felt like it was in ruins. And our tendency when this happens is we love to search through the rubble and hold on to memories. I remember when I was, when I, when I could pay my bills on time, you're searching through the rubble. I remember when I, when I had a relation, I had somebody to love me. I, we're searching through the rubble. To me, the church is searching through the rubble. I remember when I was booking gigs and shows. I, I remember, I, I'm, I'm searching through the rubble and this thing is, is, is been torn down and how you know it wasn't built on the right thing is that you're searching through the rubble. Remember when I had a job that paid more. I remember when my marriage was stronger. I remember, and we're searching through the rubble, looking for memories, and I feel like we search through the rubble, and we pick up a picture that, yeah, this was me, and I, I was a homeowner back then, 
And then I lost my house and now I live in an apartment. Remember? Man, that house was beautiful. And we searched through the rubble like, yeah, this was me. I was married back then and my marriage fell apart. And, and I remember, uh, man, we're searching through the rubble and we can't even move on. We can't even move on. We can't rebuild because we're still in the ruins. And Isaiah has a prophecy where God says he exchanged ashes, beauty for ashes. That song, The Resurrected King, is resurrecting me. What does it say? By your spirit, I will rise from the ashes of defeat. In every believer's life, you will have to rise from something. God has not forgotten you because there's something you have to rise from. But he knows that everybody in this room was born for it. But this is a season where you know I was, I was built for this. My house is still standing. I got a bad medical report, but I'm still standing. I lost a job, but I'm still standing. My, my credit score went down, but I'm still standing. I got denied for something, but I'm still standing. That person left me, but I'm still standing. I'm, I'm just standing. I'm standing. I, I don't have the stuff I used to have, but I'm not, I'm still standing. My life is built on the Word of God, and there's some people in this room that needs to be encouraged. Your account might be $21 overdrawn, but you are still standing. Come on, is there anybody in the house of God that is still standing? Yeah, my dad left me 20 years ago, but I'm still standing. Yeah, I had to file for bankruptcy, but I'm still standing. I'm on my 